Would you turn with me to James chapter 5? Lord willing, if I make it through this sermon, Lord willing, we will have come to our last sermon in the book of James, the letter of James. This is written by James, the brother of Jesus Christ, the literal brother of Jesus Christ. He was not a believer during Jesus' life or before Jesus' death and resurrection. He actually, it says in the Gospels that he did not believe with his siblings. He thought his brother Jesus may be a nice guy, but a lunatic at times, a little bit out of control. And God, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to James and his siblings, and they were changed. And James became a great leader in the Jerusalem church. And he writes this letter to a scattered church of Christians, calling out to them to not turn away, but to look to Christ, live out their faith. We always do need God's word in whatever message we're at. But our message this morning from God, this very message at the end of James, the last two verses in James 5, 19, and 20, is very serious, important, and relevant to all of us. Some of you were wandering and in a very sinful direction, although you were a true Christian. And someone in this room, or maybe someone else out there, maybe that person's already dead, brought you back to the Lord. Is that you? Some of you have spiritually wandering parents they are very old, or they're not, or maybe they just became empty nesters, or maybe they're enjoying retirement. You have wandering, spiritually wandering parents, and you're burdened for them. Some of you have wandering teenagers in the home. They're not living for the Lord, and you're really burdened for them. They say they're a Christian, but they're not living like they believe. Some of you have wandering adult children. They have professed faith in Jesus Christ at an early age or in a teenage age or whenever it was, but now you watch and you see how they have no longer interest in the things of God and they no longer attend church and the things of God have no priority in their life and you're burdened for them. Maybe you have a wandering husband or a wandering wife. Some of you have a very close friend who has drifted from the Lord. At one time, he or she was walking with God and is no longer there. And your, this sermon may bring that to your attention. But maybe just as importantly, and maybe more importantly, this is a prayer for you this morning. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're here this morning, but you're wandering. You are not right with God. You, you would say, oh, pastor, I know I'm a Christian. I know God. I, be, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I know that he has done a work in my life. And boy, there was a time when I was on fire for God and I loved him. But I, I've wandered. I'm here but going through the motions. 
I'm here, but I, I don't, I've drifted. James is wrapping up this letter, which this letter is really like a sermon. That's, what, that's how it is. Even at the very end, he doesn't give the final greetings like a lot of Paul's letters do. He kind of gives this sermonic punch at the end, but a, I should say not a, a violent one, a warm and tender kind. So let's look at these last two verses as he gives a call to all the church that they have a job of a mission. Look at verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5. My brothers... And that is a way in which he refers to the church. He does it over and over again, my brothers, in which he means my brethren, my family members, my spiritual siblings in the Lord, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This morning's message is simple. James wants us to hear this final implied command, this calling to all of us. The Holy Spirit wants us to receive from the Lord Jesus Christ this message. Bring back wandering sinners. From the text, I want you to observe three things this morning. One, the reality of wandering sinners. The reality of wandering sinners. Secondly, the call to rescue wandering sinners. And three, the reward of rescuing wandering, wandering sinners. So let's begin with the first. The reality of wandering sinners. See, you see that here? Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you, you uh, those in the church, those who call themselves Christians, those who have become disciples of Jesus Christ, if any among you, wanders from the truth. And he goes on in verse 20, he says and describes them this way. You bring back a sinner from his wander. Of course, everybody is a sinner. But he's saying, he's described as a person that has set his trajectory away from Christ now and is going another direction. The reality here in this final passage is Christians wander and it's a big deal. They are in peril of death. And since everyone is going to die, that's, that's not a question. The peril is spiritual death. What is a wandering sinner according to this passage? I believe that what James means, and we are to take from this, it is someone who has swerved away from the truth of the gospel, the central message of what Jesus has done for us in God, and that he calls us to believe in him with our heart and to trust in him with all that we are. And it is to swerve from God's word as our authority, that which we are to listen to and not just listen to, but obey and promises that we are to trust. Someone who has wandered from the truth, according to James, they are on the path of disobedience that cuts them off more and more 
from believing the goodness of God and his promises. And we wander from God's truth, and when we wander from God's truth, we are in disobedience, and that's called sin. We're all sinners, but this text is referring to a professing Christian who has been part of the people of God, the church, and they are drifting in some particular way. They're in a direction that is decidedly contrary to the truth of God's word. They have decided it's going to be my way. I'm going to do it my way, not God's way. Maybe they, they quit coming to church. And they have justified in their minds, well, you don't have to go to church to become a Christian and to stay a Christian. And all the while, they're ignoring their initial commitment that they made to Christ and to his people to to care for one another and to grow. And they're cutting themselves off from the very life source that is meant to help them be nourished and nurtured in their spiritual growth, to be protected from drifting. Maybe they go to church, but they have wandered from the truth of the gospel that calls them to lay aside all of their loyalties to full and complete allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. They go to church and they may tithe and they may attend regularly and even be involved in ministries, but over time, their hearts are drifting where if you were to pin them down and say, truly, honestly, do you love God and are you growing to love Christ with all your heart? They could not honestly answer that with a yes because all these other things in their life have taken the place of the love of Jesus Christ. And of course, their love towards others is not sacrificial, it is not true, it is not sincere, it is not real. Maybe a wandering Christian in this passage could be a person that they're like one of the soils in Jesus' parable. Remember the soils, the parable where they hear the word of God and the sower sows seed, and Jesus interpreted what this symbolized. The gospel is preached. The word of Jesus Christ is preached. And there are some that hear the word of God, and they rejoice. But then the, cares, the, the difficulties and trials of life come, and they scorch them. And they, it proved that they had no true root, and the trials of life caused them, caused them to wander. And they're just mad at God, and they're just going the other direction. Revealing the shallowness of the depth of their faith in God. Or maybe all of the good things that they have going on in their life. Their relationships, their money, their job, their position. Has consumed them and their passions are those things rather than the Lord. Maybe they are like Demas when Paul said, Demas in love with this present world has Abandon me. This letter of James is full of warnings and commands. It, it was, if you remember, if you were following with us, you can. It's tough on us at times. James warns us against hypocrisy. 
It says true Christians are saved by faith, but it's a faith that has works and it produces a real fruit in our lives because the Holy Spirit, it's not because we produce it, it's the Holy Spirit produces us if it's real. And so in James, he warned us of these kinds of things and maybe James is referring to these kinds of things that you're wandering from, being double-minded in their relationship with God, going back and forth with God over an allegiance. Yeah, I'm for God, but I also want my thing. Or not enduring trials but, and giving great gratitude to God for the trials, but instead cursing God, turning away and not trusting him. Or giving in to the enticements of your own desires. Or being hearers of the word, but that's all, not doers. Or showing favoritism to those who are wealthy or who bring advantage to you. Or having a profession of faith but no real works to, go, to match that, to prove that you're real. Or saying you're a Christian, but have no control over your tongue. Or thinking yourself wise, but actually being full of pride and being dissent, uh, divisive and quarreling and selfish. Or being prayerless. Or praying, but with selfish motives. Because God is just a means to get what you want, not who you really want. Or praying, but with selfish motives. Using God for your own lusts. Or a loyalty and friendship with the world, which he calls spiritual adultery. Or living life and making decisions with regards, with very little regards to God. And being presumptuous, a practical atheist. Or enjoying the riches that you have and you're hoarding it and you're not generous to others. Or being impatient when you go through suffering. Now, James is hard. I mean, these are hard standards. I mean, all of us struggle in all of these things, and we need a, a Savior who's constantly picking us up and helping us. But I think James is saying the direction of a Christian is, yes, they will struggle with these, but they hear God's word, and they believe in Jesus, and they remember, and they're so thankful that we have a forgiving God, but they look to Jesus Christ, and they keep going, and they keep calling on the name of the Lord. And James is going to say, oh, there are wandering Christians out there. They are wandering from the truth, wandering in disobedience to God. He calls you to obey everything that he says in your word. You have no option to just discard certain portions of the Bible. Pride and greed and laziness and lust and self-indulgence and bitterness, not forgiving those that have sinned against you, and lives characterized by fear instead of faith. And so... I ask you this morning, I ask you online, and I ask you sitting here in this room, does this describe you? Are you wandering from the truth? Is it of God's, and I pray that if it is, it is God's kindness and love to put you in this room or allow you to hear the sermon this morning, and it's as though God is saying, I'm bringing you back. You're wandering, but it's not too late. You're wandering, but the history of my grace is me constantly rescuing wanderers. Come to me. Is it somebody you know? 
Maybe it's your children. I know that for many of you it is. I looked at the directory this week just looking at your names, thinking about my, my, my knowledge of you and your prayer requests to me over the years. And I know it's a, a, a grown children who are wandering from the Lord. I know it's children that are in the home that are wandering from the Lord. I know it's parents that have wandered from the Lord. I know it's friends that have wandered from the Lord. It might be people that are here that have wandered from the Lord in your burden. This passage says that there is a reality and that there is wandering people that profess Christ. And believers are to be aware that this is a reality. Paul, the author to the Hebrews, writes this. He says that we are prone to wander. Like the song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, prone to wander, prone to Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest if there be in any of you, in you, he's talking to the church, any unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is really deceitful. And it happens, and some of you are wandering and you don't, you don't even realize it because it's just so tricky. That's the first point, the reality of wandering Christians. But the second, I want you to see the call to rescue wandering Christians. He says, my brothers, my church family, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner. The, the Coast Guard has been around for, since 1790s during George Washington's time. And it was there to protect our coasts from maritime trouble and from for search and rescue and they still do that as they they rescue thousands every year in their search and rescue process and we as christians every one of us are called to be search and rescuers according to this passage james has been talking about dealing with sin in the paragraph before that we've been in the last two weeks. He says, you will pray for the sick person and it is if he has sinned, God will forgive him. So confess your sins to one another. That's, that's what he was talking about for those in the church who are willing to confess it enough. But he says, there are gonna be times when you're gonna have people in your family who are not alert to their sin and they are wandering and you, by God's grace, am to go to them and care for them. And it says here, if someone brings them back, this passage says, and this is the title of my message this morning, bring back wandering sinners. Oh, that's, that's the call that I have to you. I pray that God would use this message to bring back wandering sinners. And I pray that this message would cause you to have a heart to bring back wandering sinners. I'm reminded of Galatians 6.1. That's one that's worth writing down and looking at. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is what he says. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's a violation of sin, disobedience to God's word. If anyone is caught in sin, transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now keep watch over yourself lest you be tempted. Probably hypocrisy or pride or falling into the same way. Can you think of wandering believers in the Bible? 
I wonder who comes to your mind who wandered and then were brought back. Probably the most famous one is the Apostle Peter. Remember Apostle Peter? He zealous and strong fisherman, followed Jesus. He was one of the inner circles. Gets, toward, gets towards the end of really the, the ministry of Jesus when Jesus is going to go to the cross and they're sitting around and Jesus has this conversation before he's arrested with Peter. He says, Peter, Simon, Simon, that was his name. Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said to him, Peter, as Jesus knew his heart, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. And we read verses later in Luke chapter 22 that when they seized Jesus and they were bringing him to the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance, then a servant girl said to Peter, basically, this man also was with him, but Peter denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And he did it three times. And at the end of that, Peter remembered the saying the Lord had said before the rooster crows, crows today, you will deny me three times. And he wept bitterly. Here's a man who is a follower of Jesus, so determined, and he wanders in unbelief and fear, and he denies the Lord three times. And I want you to just note the grace and the mercy of Jesus praying for Peter caring for Peter, spending time with Peter, being courageous with Peter, and gentle with Peter. And then we find at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, he ministers to Peter and restores Peter and is with him after he returns and says, feed my sheep, go and feed my sheep, Peter. I call you to a ministry. Now, there are family and friends that you have that are wandering. If we all sat with our notes and wrote down, I bet each of us could at least write one name, probably five names of wanderers. So what do you do about this? I mean, James says, whoever, it doesn't say exactly how to do it. He just says, someone brings him back and whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, well, we just, we should begin by praying for him praying for her, praying for them and praying persistently. God, Jesus is, the word of God and Jesus specifically makes it very clear when he wants us to pray, he wants us to pray persistently, not just one time and not give up praying and praying and praying and praying until you can't, until you see God's blessing. Jesus said, I've prayed for you, Peter, that Satan would not sift you take you. And Jesus spent time with Peter. He listened to him. We should spend time. We should seek to spend time with those wanderers, not in order to make them feel justified in their direction, but because we care for them. Oh, we need to pray that God will give us compassionate, tender hearts for those who are wandering. And quite often when they wander, they, it is 
frustrating and could bring anger or disappointment or hurt in our lives and we need to get over it and realize, boy, apart from the grace of God, we'll go right there. We need to have compassion and we spend time and we need to speak to them in love, in gentleness. James, Galatians says, speaking with a gentleness and a spirit of gentleness. But friends, we do need to, in our lives, also speak with courage. A courage that is accompanied with love and compassion. Proverbs says, whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. If a brother sins against you, or I should say sin is in sin, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have won a brother. In fact, this is right in the Old Testament law. In Leviticus 19, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur guilt because of him. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, that doesn't mean you who are a spiritual elite in the church. It means you who are filled by the Spirit and are seeking to obey God and your heart is right and you're seeking wisdom, we need to have hard conversations before they are too late. We need to push past the fear of, I'm going to look judgmental. Don't be judgmental. Be compassionate and loving. Be gracious. Come with questions, not accusations. Hey, I just, I just was wondering, I've noticed that you no longer are going to church anywhere, and I just wanted to understand where you're coming from, and I, I pray for you, and, and maybe that can turn into a conversation before you just say, you stop coming to church, you must hate God, <laughs> and you put them on the defensive. Of course, you wouldn't say it quite like that. There, there's a balance in how you do that. James does not exactly tell us to, how to go about doing this. He, I think he would say, take the word of God, Old and New Testament, and the principles of there, and the patterns, and, and care, and speak the truth in love, in love. Help the people that you confront and even admonish. That's the word that we use, admonishing, pointing out someone's way that is a sinful direction, you want the people that you are admonishing or rebuking to know that you would do anything for that person because you care for them. You're there for them and you're for them and that's the only reason. There is no selfish purpose that you have in bringing to them. In fact, it's uncomfortable for you to confront them. And James says, you all are called, all of you, not just the elders. The elders are called to the search and rescue operation. But so are all of the brothers, all of the sisters, all of the members are called to this search and rescue, wandering sinners. And if we could add Galatians 6.1, and watch over yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Don't look and say, boy, look at those transgressors. I best say, oh God, if it wasn't for your grace, I could go right there. Please help me. Help me as I help them, even if it means I need to pray earnestly for them. The last point I want you to see is the reward of rescuing wandering Christians. Jesus tells a parable in 
Luke 15, as he opens up a beautiful, just extended passage on lostness. Jesus says, what man of you has a hundred sheep? If he lost one of them and does not, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls all his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And James tells us, let him, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, know this, he will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And you say, that might sound strange. Why would you word it this way, James? Are you saying that we cover multitudes of sins? We save sinners? I can't save a sinner. God has to save a sinner. Yes, that's true. That's not what James is meaning. He doesn't mean you do it and God doesn't. He, he means God does it. God is the one, this, this idea of covering a multitude of sins isn't, we're just going to say, sin doesn't matter, and we're just going to sweep it under the rug. That doesn't mean that. It is the imagery, it is the word, it, it's the verbiage that's used in Old Testament passage of, of G, how, what God does for our sins through Christ. He covers our sins in Christ. And so we find like in Psalm 32, Oh, blessed is the person whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Or the psalmist says in Psalm 85 too, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all of their sin. And I think what he's saying is, when you bring a wandering, we're going to say believer, but we're not sure if they're a believer, but there's somebody you love and you bring them and they repent and they look to Christ, you save them from hell and you, you, you are part of God's gracious process of covering their sins in Christ. What is James doing here at the end of this letter? He's saying, I want you to see there's a reward. Be motivated. Just like the, the, the one that reaches out and restores and finds the one of the hundred sheep, comes back rejoicing. Oh, there is a rejoicing. There is a joy and a reward of res this rescue operation that we're called on. Life and death are in the balance here. Their soul can be saved from death, eternal death. And I want to say this, lest less this seem unclear. A true Christian, a true believer, will never go to hell. I absolutely believe in eternal security and the assurance of our salvation. However, not all people who are among us, like who are among the people that James is writing to, who profess to be Christians are true Christians. Sometimes they are deceiving others or they are self-deceived. They profess to be a believer, but they are really not. And that, that's what it means when Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, some of you will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. You did all these things in my name, but you, you never truly were my own. 
Not because Jesus makes it hard to become his own. Not because he wants to deceive us. But we so often, can we can run after other things and think we've put our trust in Jesus. And all we did was we put our trust in something else. We put trust in a decision or a baptism or some moving thing that took place at camp. And it wasn't truly faith in Christ. And here he says, true Christians... I believe it. We, the scriptures teach that true Christians will not be lost and go to hell because God will not let them go. Now, because God is going to go after his own children and he will go on a search and rescue of them. Now, how do you think he'll do that in this world? He has a body on this earth. And that body is the church, his people. And we are his hands and his feet to go after the wandering sinners of whom he has already saved. And he's going to say, now I'm going to have you go after them and bring that backslidden Christian back here. You are my hands and you are my feet. Bring them, show them the love of grace, the love and grace of God and the truth. And warn them, oh, but show them my love. He says he will cover a multitude of sins. We don't save, God saves. We don't cover sins, God does. But God uses ordinary you and me, sinning you and me, broken you and me, often wandering, formerly wandering you and me to be used by him to rescue wandering sinners. Now, this, these verses are not in here unless God actually believe, God intended for us to hear it, believe it, obey it, and actually experience that this will happen, that we will bring back wandering sinners. <laughs> oh, may God help us as Christians to do that. Dear friends, this call to bring back wanderers is what God has done for each and every one of us if we're truly saved. We see a beautiful picture in Ezekiel 34 where of, of God's grace when in contrast to the, to the folly, the selfishness of Israel's shepherds. They were the, call, the ones that were called to get wandering sheep those that were drifting, but it says an indictment on these wicked people. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And then it says here, but God was going to do something great, and it's a picture of what Jesus would do and what he does in the gospel, the good news, and what he does through us gospel people. And in verses 15 and 16 of Ezekiel 34, God promises, and I will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy and I will feed them in justice. Oh, 
That is the heart of God. That is the commitment of God. And he did it through sending his son who came and lived in this world and said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. The call to go after wandering sinners is the call to do what God has done for you and for me. And how can we refuse? Are you ready? Will you take this call? Will you be equipped and ready yourself for this lifetime service of bringing back, bringing back wanderers? Do you know what he's done for you? This wandering, this rescue process comes from joyfully rescued sinners. Remember what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to our sin and to live to righteousness and by his wounds we've been healed. For you were straying. You were all straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I wonder if James, who wrote this letter, as he's finishing this letter, he thinks about his brother, Jesus, his savior, and thought, I was wandering, and my big brother came after me at the resurrection and brought me home. He brought me into his family. And he says to us, you go and do likewise. I conclude with this. And I pray that the result of this, this would cause us, if you are in a place where you are wandering and you need to turn back to the Lord, you can right now in your seats cry out to God and ask him for forgiveness and grace and restoration, and he does forgive you. I encourage you to seek somebody out, talk to one of the elders or someone in this church and ask for prayer and accountability of your wandering and that they would pray and help you. But each of us would probably have a list of a few people in their lives that are, we are meant to start praying and, and lovingly pursuing. This is the God that invites us to this. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and I will you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come and would you bow your head and would you pray for just a minute, take, take some time to, to talk to God. When the worship team comes up, they can start to, to play and we're gonna just a minute, we're gonna sing our sins are many. His mercy is more. Oh God, I pray that you would please bring back wandering sinners in this church. Maybe some that are not even here right now. Some that are watching online. Some that will watch it later. And bring back sinners through the instrument of the people in this church. Father, I pray that in the coming year or years, we would, we would 
cry and sing with joy over rescued sinners, rescued wanderers just like us. In Jesus' name, amen.